Good morning, and welcome to another glorious day in God's creation. I'm John Kowalski, and this is Rise Up, a podcast about life's challenges with solutions provided by the Word of God. Today, we're going to be talking about submission. Submission is an unpopular, repugnant concept these days. Uh, According to Albert Calhoun, the notion of giving away power conjures up images of becoming a doormat, a weak-willed non-entity, or a brainwashed cult follower. Uh, But this perception is miles away from the biblical model for submission. True submission is not linked solely to hierarchy or roles, Um, It begins at the very center of the Trinity, where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all mutually honor and defer to each other. Christ's submission to the Father did not make him less than the Father. It was a way that the Son gave glory to the Father. In Philippians 2, 5-10, it's wonderfully depicted uh, the nature of biblical submission. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Albert Calhoun says that godly submission is rooted in God's good and loving intentions for each one of us. Submission is not something God forces down our throats because forcing people to submit is oppression. You know, the real definition of oppression, not what our culture seems to want to call oppression. Uh, As you know, our our society, our culture has suddenly become at ease with the government forcing people to submit, whether to medical treatments, voting rights, or the stripping of uh, constitutionally granted rights. Uh, Albert Calhoun goes on to assert that, therefore, biblical submission does not trap people in abusive relationships that rob them of their freedom. Submission is a way that we allow God's kingdom agenda to shape our choices, relationships, and even vocations. And it always works in conjunction with our personal freedom, right? Unlike and these are my words, what is happening in secular culture today. Um, She goes on to explain that scripture makes it clear that God has a plan and he knows the best way for people to live. Submission is trusting that God's instructions concerning this life are good for us. Instructions to forgive, serve, and love are not given to abuse us, but to set us free. John MacArthur, uh, in his controversial name, controversially named book, Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ, discusses four paradoxes 
involving are involved in asserting that being a slave to Christ could set you free. And I found this very interesting. I read this book when I was in school and it stuck with me uh, all this time. The first paradox he discusses is that slavery brings freedom, right? That seems counterintuitive. Um, but he says that though they think they are free, all unbelievers are in reality slaves to sin, held captive to their lusts and ensnared in their trespasses. He asserts that the Bible denotes only two categories of people in this world, those who are slaves to sin and those who are slaves to righteousness. Paul contrasted uh, those two groups in Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Slavery to Christ, in MacArthur's words, not only means freedom from sin, guilt, condemnation, it also means freedom to obey, to please God, and to live the way our Creator intended us to live in intimate fellowship with Him. Second paradox, slavery ends prejudice. Okay, um, I didn't necessarily buy this one when I first read or when I first uh, heard it, uh, but then I read and it makes sense. So bear with me. Uh, it's a bold claim for a world that desperately needs this to be true. Don't we? We rightly rage against racism, but the best solution we can devise as humans is more racism. We ignore the truth of the progress that has that we have been made or that we have made uh, in the past, and we demand payment from people who never committed the offense in the first place. Human justice is a pale imitation of God's justice. Uh, Ezekiel 18.30-32 says, That is why I will judge each of you by what you have done. You have done, not what by what others have done. He's talking to the people of Israel in this uh, scripture. He goes on to say, change the way that you think and act. Turn away from all the rebellious things that you have done so that you will not fall into sin. Stop all the rebellious things that you are doing. Get yourselves new hearts and new spirits. Why do you want to die, nation of Israel? I don't want anyone to die, declares the Almighty Lord. Change the way you think and act. It couldn't be any more clear than that, right? Jeremiah in 30 uh, Jeremiah 31:30 says, "But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. We will pay for our sins." Only on this world do people seek to make us pay for the sins of others and call it justice. You may be thinking that these are examples of Old Testament justice, right? The New Testament's about love and not judgment, but I'm sorry, but you're selectively reading. God is always the same God. Jesus didn't come to dispute the law. 
he actually deepened the interpretation of the law in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, uh, adultery uh, is a sin, right? Well, Jesus said that adultery isn't just committing the act, it's thinking about committing the act. Um, So Jesus didn't take away the law. If anything, he held us to a higher standard. Romans 14.12 states, so then, Each of us will give an account of himself to God, right? So even Paul says it in Romans. uh, There's no doubt that this is a consistent theme, that we will be held accountable for our choices and actions. MacArthur goes on to explain that as the gospel went forth from Israel to Samaria and then to the Gentiles, it broke down previous prejudices between different social classes and racial groups. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slaves and freemen, all were welcomed into the church where they enjoyed equal spiritual standing before God as citizens of heaven and fellow slaves of Christ. The gospel had put an end to all their other prior human prejudices. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. If all of us just regarded each other as more important than ourselves, we wouldn't have any of the problems that we have in this world. The problem is we let our egos let make us think that we're better than someone else, that our ideas are better than someone else, that our politics are better than someone else's. Uh, they're not. Uh, they're all a pale imitation of God's objective morality and law. James 2.1 says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. MacArthur goes on to say that consequently, we can serve one another in humility and gladness, no matter our ethnic or socioeconomic differences, knowing that we're all accountable to the same heavenly master. Um, I'm going to add something that actually I think came from the Just Thinking podcast. Um, I don't remember which podcast it was, but again, certain things are said that stick with you. Um, So I want to give you this caution right here. If you are at church on Sunday or whatever day you go to be served, you have forgotten whose church it is. Submit yourself to Jesus and you will stop seeing yourself as fighting against the world and instead start to see yourself as fighting for people. Paradox number three, slavery magnifies grace. All right, he got us through the first two and proved his paradoxes. So let's see what he has to say about this third one. Slavery magnifies grace. Uh, First, he says that God certainly doesn't need our acts of service, right? Acts uh, 17.25, Mark 10.45 talk about this. Yet, he allows us the privilege of belonging to him so that we might fully delight in him. And in so doing, experience the true satisfaction and joy that comes from knowing him. Such is the essence of eternal life as Jesus prayed in John 17, 3 through 5. 
and this eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See that before the world existed? Keep that in mind because um, I heard in a podcast earlier this week, there was a survey done of Christians and a huge portion of professing Christians do not believe Jesus existed before his birth, his incarnated birth. Um, So remember that. It says it right in the Bible. I had with you before the world existed. Not before he existed as a person, but even before the world existed, which if you've read your Bible, you know that. I think it's the first line in John. Uh, MacArthur asserts that all of this gives evidence of the magnanimous character of our loving master. His bondage is true freedom. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. What he has required, he has also enabled by his own grace. He calls us to obey, not because he needs us to, but because he knows that we need him. It is, it is only in relationship with him that our souls can be satisfied. Only by delighting in him can we experience true joy and eternal life. Augustine famously prayed in his confessions, You awake us to delight in praising you, for you have made us yourself, made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I could not possibly have said it any better than that, so I'm not even going to try to add anything there. Um, The fourth uh, paradox is slavery pictures salvation. All right, he got us through the first three, so I'm all in here. Uh, I've read this before, so I know how it ends, but um, let's let's go anyway. All right, say what you will about MacArthur uh, and what you believe about his theology or whatever, but the guy can sure make a bold statement and back it up. So let's let's go on with it. The gospel message is not simply a plan of salvation. It's a call to embrace the person of salvation, which is Jesus. And he is both Savior and Lord. The two cannot be separated. To truly come to Christ is to willingly surrender your heart and mind and will the whole person to the master. Mere lip service to Jesus' lordship is nothing more than hypocrisy. Titus 1.16, a false profession that cannot save. Uh, Matthew 7.23 and Luke 6.46 talk about this too. Likewise, in MacArthur's words, to preach Christ as Savior, but not as Lord, is to present the gospel message that is incomplete. Um, He goes on to say that in the words of a missionary martyr named Jim Elliott, it is a 20th century heresy that Christ is Savior only by right, Lord by option of the believer. This denial of the only Master and Lord 
preaches only half his person, declaring only partially the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. The gospel must be preached with the full apprehension of who he is, the demanding Lord as well as the delivering Savior, denier of the Lordship of the Lord. That is disobedience, which in any way makes pliable the requirement of God, for it makes God not God. I don't have a lot to add here, but if you think about it, if you call yourselves a Christ follower, how are you defining that? Is Jesus your savior? Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus both? If Jesus is both Savior and King, are you acting in a manner of submission and service to Him? Or are you happy to receive the grace, but unwilling to serve the King, the Kingdom, and its citizens? Those are questions you have to ask yourself. I'm going to take a quick break, and I'm going to return with some reflection questions that Alberg Calhoun posed and my answers. I encourage you to... Stay tuned. Be right back. All right, guys, I'm back. And we're going to be talking about some reflection questions that Albert Calhoun uh, suggests that we ask ourselves and answer. So hopefully we're not just, you know, living vicariously through me. Uh, And my answers, I hope that you're using this uh, to journal or to jot down questions to discuss with mentors. And we'll get to uh, some of that. Well, how to use this uh, submission or how to uh, figure out how to submit uh, in your life correctly. Because uh, there are wrong ways to submit to and there are wrong things to submit to uh, as well. So... Um, I'm going to get started with these reflection questions. So the first one is, what is your reaction to the word submission? I can't even imagine what people were thinking when I first said that this was about submission uh, and started to explain it. Um, I understand the difficulty that people have with the word. It evokes evils of the past, mistreatment of people at the hands of individuals, governments, and even religious leaders. We we need to use great discernment when submitting to anyone. Uh, I searched the word submit in the Bible and I found it used only 11 times. Uh, they And they're kind of, I categorized them, okay? Um, a couple of them talk about how the wrong mind does not submit to certain things. Uh, for, for example, the wrong mind does not submit to God's law, right? Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Uh, and second, it doesn't submit to God's righteousness, right? Romans 10, 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness, right? It kind of sounds like the story of the Tower of Babel, right? Uh, They were going to reach heaven without God. They're going to just build a building to heaven uh, and and get to God that way. Uh, 
it didn't work out so well for them. It doesn't work out so well for us. We will never gain righteousness uh, through our own human means. Uh, some of them break down into what the right mind does or submits to. Um, first of all, the right mind does not submit to the yoke of slavery, meaning sin, right? Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Uh, once you're set free, why do we go back? Why do we go back to the slavery of sin? The next one, the right mind submits to their spouse. Yes, both, not just, I, I know, uh, we all know and awkwardly accept Ephesians 5, 22 uh, and 24. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, but from the beginning, God intended this to be a two-way street, right? In Genesis 2, 24, the, almost the very beginning of the Bible, it states, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So in some translation, the word cleave is used as to separate, right? To chop something. But in many other cases, it's used to hold to, to connect to, to link to. Um, it's... Uh, almost as if they can no longer function properly apart. Uh, the next one, the right mind submits to Christ, not rules, right? Colossians says uh, two, or Colossians 2, 20 and 21 say, uh, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Uh, so it's kind of a warning against legalism. Um, we can make up a lot of rules that aren't in the Bible, and then we can hold others accountable to them uh, when we made them up. Uh, kind of silly, but we do it. We see it. Um, I've probably done it. You've probably done it. Uh, we shouldn't. Uh, rules against sin do nothing to eliminate our temptation to sin. Just look at the example of the Israelites who lived under the law. It's about your heart and your will, not the law, right? They couldn't follow the law, but that was the point. Um, we can't either, as a society, we're just as bad, if not worse, than they were. Um, and then the next one, uh, the right mind submits to our leaders, right? Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So it's telling us that we should follow our leaders. Our leaders are appointed to be uh, to lead us, to help us, to watch over our souls. I love the part of the line that says, as those who will have to give an account. Uh, if a leader leads us astray, uh, they are going to have to account for that, right? Remember in uh, the warning in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for uh, you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. God will hold them accountable. 
yeah um i wouldn't want to be a teacher who leads people astray i try with this podcast although i do put some of my opinions in here uh my worldview is a biblical worldview so i hope that my opinions are reflecting what i see god say in the bible and are not coming from me personally uh james 4 Uh, Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Wow, that sounds easy, right? But how? How do we resist the devil, and how do we make him flee for you? How do we submit ourselves to God? For that matter, uh, question number two might help there. Uh, Question number two is, what submitting experiences have you had? So first of all, let's try to start with what submission might look like, right? Uh, we'll go back to James 4, 7 that talks about submitting to God, right? And resisting the devil. So those are the two things that I think is what submission looks like. Submit to God, submit to God's will in all things. Pray throughout the day. Ask God's help with even the mundane. There's no reason you can't. Uh, Read the Bible every day. Seek a better understanding of God through his word. Uh, Give, serve, evangelize whenever the opportunity presents itself to you. Uh, Stop making excuses. Tomorrow is not promised. And I'm right along with you on this bandwagon here because uh, I miss opportunities too when I feel like God has given me a word and I'm afraid to say it or I'm embarrassed or something like that. You know, just I withhold. God will get that word out to the people uh, that were that he meant me to get it out to. Uh, it just won't be through me. Uh, and a recent recently that happened. We were in a big group and I felt like God was giving me a word and I, I withheld and not minutes later, somebody else said almost exactly what was given to me. So, you know, God's going to get his word out with or without you. It's up to us to say, here I am, God, send me, right? Part two is resist sin. We can never be perfect, uh, but we shouldn't cave in to every sinful thought that pops into our heads. When temptation arises, pray. Know your weak spots and protect yourselves in in those areas. Um, Get accountability partners. Live in community so that you're surrounded by other people that can lift you up when you're weakest. The hardest part for me for a long time was hearing God, hearing God's will in my life. I would pray and pray, pray and wait. Um, Many times when I thought I was waiting for God, I had already been given the answer and I either missed it or ignored it. Uh, Learning to hear the answer was a huge revelation to me. Uh, The not so secret fact is that God speaks through everything in our lives. I read the book Whisper by Mark Batterson, uh, which I won at a raffle at church during a time in my life when I was truly struggling with hearing God, right? Um, you know, that's just another God thing, right? I mean, I'm having trouble listening and he gives me a book about hearing God. Uh, it helped me. Uh, maybe it will help you. Uh, 
uh, the bottom line is uh, be open to instruction anywhere and everywhere. Um, I'll link that among other uh, resources uh, in the show notes, the podcast notes um, for this podcast. So you can uh, research that book if you want to. Um, So have you ever missed uh, a scripture that you needed because your Bible is closed and it's been in the same spot for weeks? Uh, Did you miss an opportunity to pray because you were cussing out drivers on your commute? Uh, Did you miss the message for you at church because you assumed it was intended for somebody else? You know, I got this, but looking around kind of thinking, uh, wonder who he's talking to this time. Uh, Did God send the message three different ways and you missed all of them because you were busy scrolling through social media? I was guilty of all of these things at one point in my life or at some points in my life and various ones at many points in my life. Uh, The only thing I was failing to hear was God's will for my life. Everything else I was absorbing, just not hearing God. I claimed I was waiting for God to enlighten me when I was ignoring him in almost every way. Number three, who is an example of someone who knows how to practice healthy biblical submission? How has his or her life influenced you? Um, I doubt that they would want this kind of attention, but I have to say that Jay and Maggie Dunn, the founders of and leaders of House of Providence, and Dan and Rachel Smither, the founders and leaders of Key of Hope, are great examples of submission to the will of God. In both cases, God called them to do things that most people would ignore or think insane. Uh, Being asked to start a therapeutic Christ-centered home for foster kids in Michigan or a program to feed, educate, and uh, bring the gospel to people decimated by HIV and AIDS, malnutrition, and extreme poverty in South Africa are huge responsibilities. To actually do these things successfully and with excellence demonstrates a submission to God that I am not sure can be measured. I know they have had moments of doubt when spiritual warfare came their way in the form of selfish and corrupt people giving in to their basest thoughts. This is nothing new, even among strong believers. Moses had doubts when God told him to return to Egypt and to Pharaoh, despite being wanted for murder, to convince him to let the Israelites go. Um, yeah, that's, that's a big ask. Uh, Even Jesus expressed a moment like this when in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Uh, In Matthew 26, 42, Uh, having doubts in terrifying moments doesn't mean that you have little faith or have failed to submit to God. Letting those doubts stop you from doing what you know is right is a different conversation. I'm not going to judge or I'm not your judge. I'm right there struggling beside you. I'm not looking forward to answering to God for those decisions that I have made in my life. Number four, do you have to have a submissive temperament? Why or why not? Um, Okay, bear with me. I absolutely, positively, undoubtedly, 110%, unequivocally, 
do not have a submissive temperament. Those of you who know me well, especially before I gave my life to Christ, probably distanced yourselves from me because of this fact. Today, though I am still me, I have submitted to powers and wisdom greater than my own. God, first and foremost, my wife, pastors, teachers, leaders, and elders in the Christian community, I still abide by the laws of man, especially when they can coincide with the objective morality of God. Uh, while I adhere to laws and respect positions of leadership, I give little value to the temporal rules and regulations of authorities outside the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. Those laws and rules are simply bids for power in a temporary place of residence, this world. My citizenship is in the kingdom of God. I'm only here for a minute. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Following the speed limit or wearing a mask in public does us no harm, but it also does nothing eternal for us or anyone else. Telling somebody about the saving grace of Jesus does. So will I drive the speed limit? Sure. Can't hurt. Will I wear a mask in public where I'm required to? Sure. Can't hurt. Uh, certainly not going to do any harm to me. Uh, if it protects somebody else, great, from getting a, a disease, okay, I'm, I'm all for that. I don't want to make anybody sick. Um, but is it doing anything for them eternally? No. No. So how much time are you willing to spend on arguing for or against mask mandates when people's souls are forfeit and they're going to die? Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You decide. You pick where your treasure is. You pick where your heart is. I'm going to take one more quick break, and then we'll continue with the last couple of reflection questions uh, and some, uh, some spiritual exercises for you. Be right back. All right, I'm back, and we're back into the last couple reflection questions and then um, some uh, spiritual exercises, okay? So we're up to number five, uh, and that question from Albert Calhoun was, what does it look like for a leader, an activist, or an achiever to be submissive? Uh, I'm going to be blunt here, so if you can't handle a little bit of my personal transparency that might hit close enough to home to disrupt the facade you have spent hours on social media curating, uh, fast forward through this next part. Uh, Jesus is the only example of a submissive leader, activist, and achiever. I know many of you listening try to model your behavior after Jesus, but we are not him, and we will always fall short. The simple fact that you bristled at me making this statement, ready to argue for your effort, uh, proves that we are not submissive. I am in no way saying that your efforts are not excellent. 
by human standards, appreciated by those you demonstrate them to, and rewarding at the time of judgment if you refrain from accepting glory for them here. I'm simply saying that it doesn't compare to Jesus, who was both sinless man and selfless God. <clears throat> the closest we can come would be to model his behavior and become servant leaders, gospel activists, and achievers in evangelism. There is nothing more submissive than dedicating your time, effort, and resources to the growth of the kingdom of God. Um, Kevin Cruz of LeadX.com uh, wrote an article called Servant Leadership, a Definition, Examples, and Characteristics. Um, in it, he says that servant leaders, as the term suggests, are servants first and leaders second. Their desire is to uh, I'm sorry, their desire to serve is natural and innate. While stepping into a leadership role is a conscious choice, at its core, being a servant means taking responsibility of meeting others' needs upon yourself. Pat Filotico, 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 uh, CEO of the Robert K. Greenfield Center for Servant Leadership and a former IBM executive, says that all servant leaders have a natural desire to serve hold themselves accountable for the growth of others, and operate out of a drive to create a better world. Uh, characteristics uh, that the Greenleaf Center, I think I said Greenfield Center earlier, it's Greenleaf Center. Um, the characteristics of a servant leader uh, are people who listen to understand, that don't listen just to respond, right? They listen intently, then they think through what you said, then they respond. They're not formulating an answer while the speaker is still explaining their point. Um, I've been guilty of that, uh, so I, I can relate. But it's something I work hard to overcome, uh, I hope. Second, demonstrate an acceptance and empathy for people. Uh, behavior can be good or bad and dealt with accordingly but the people involved are always of value. So if somebody does something good, we reward them, right? If somebody does something bad, we coach and develop them, but they are not given up on. Uh, that's the world we live in right now, right? Um, coach takes the team to the playoffs one year and misses them the next, he's out, right? There, there's no forgiveness, there's no empathy, there's no understanding limits. Uh, there's none of that, right? Um, it's kind of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater uh, cliche. Uh, the next one, uh, servant leaders understand their limits and rest when needed, right? They ask, what do I need to do to be able to serve best? Uh, and sometimes that means take a beat. Um, but if you're a good servant leader, you have people behind you that can pick and pick up for you. Uh, and take on your load for a minute so you can rest. And you'll do the same for them because you're a servant leader. Um, next, they have vision and the ability to forecast it into a plan, right? There are a lot of people out there that have vision and have no capability to put it into a plan or make it happen. Um, you know, the, the pipe dreamers, uh, 
they have huge dreams and and uh, lack what somebody in my past career once referred to as the completion gene. Um, they just don't have it, right? They, they never get anything done. They do lots of things halfway. Um, that's not what a servant leader does. Uh, Greenleaf asserts that the best leaders are clear. They continually light the way and in the process let each person know what they do to make a difference. They don't just prop themselves up and say, look at what I've done for you. Look at what we've done as a team. Look at what you did to further our progress. Um, and finally, uh, servant leaders are perceptive and aware. They're fully present in the moment. They make decisions based on having all of the information and you can't do that when you know people are filling you in on the details and you're Re responding to texts or emails. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, number six, uh, if you have questions about the biblical concept of submission, how might you educate yourself on the topic? Um, I, I've got a few different ways here and I'll, I'll keep it relatively short. Uh, first, start with the Bible. I, I've said it a million times uh, if I've said it once. Uh, seek out great examples of biblical submission. There's some great ones in Job, Elijah, Daniel. There are many others. Um, seek out some cautionary tales. Uh, for example, in Exodus, uh, the Israelites in general during their time wandering in the wilderness. Um, I can't think, I mean... They were so not submitted to God. They, they were so unsubmitted to God that as soon as Moses was gone for 40 days talking to God, they needed a new God from Aaron and had him build him a calf out of gold. Uh, crazy, right? Um, but we do the same thing, right? As soon as we don't hear God clearly in our lives, we go our own way. Uh, another good example of a cautionary tale is Saul, the king, not Saul, who became Paul, he's kind of the opposite of that. Um, he was, uh, Paul was so submitted to God that uh, he went through so many things. He was stoned nearly to death, maybe to death, and came back. Uh, shipwrecks and beatings and arrests, and finally uh, he was killed and martyred for the cause. Uh, and then also Judas, right? Judas is another cautionary tale. Uh, for lack of submission. Uh, you can't be submitted to someone and betray them. Uh, next, uh, so you've started with the Bible. Next, find a mentor, a pastor, an elder, a teacher uh, to meet with, maybe monthly, and discuss issues of faith and life. When you're going through these reflection questions, you can be journaling your notes uh, to discuss with them at these meetings, right? You can search keywords in the Bible app, like I do when preparing these uh, podcasts, uh, and get some answers for yourself from God himself. Um, next, find an ac accountability partner. Um, a peer, right? meet with them often, once a week, every two weeks, whatever it is. Maybe it's a life group um, of people who, who see life the same way or have the same struggles. I hate to break it to you, but 
we all have the same struggles, maybe not at the same time, but we all do. Seek their counsel as you offer yours to them. But you got to be honest. Nothing is gained from half-truths and lies, right? Um, your spouse. There, there's another person that you can talk to and um, discuss submission. Pray together. Study the Bible together. Share your difficulties together. Celebrate your victories together. Uh, and then finally, and I put this at the bottom of the list on purpose books, other resources, podcasts, right now media, but vet them thoroughly first. Know what they're telling you. There are many wolves out there leading flocks in the wrong direction or chasing flocks in the wrong direction. Uh, If you hold their teachings up to the biblical standard, you will likely expose them before they can do much harm in your life. But it is still time wasted going in the wrong direction. I'll give you one last piece of advice. Don't simply try to find a writer who will tell you everything you're doing is fine. Surround yourself with people and resources who challenge you to God's standard. Take up Jesus's cross, not your own. There is no growth to be found in simply accepting your failings. Some spiritual exercises that Albert Calhoun suggests. One, arrange a small group discussion on the topic of submission. Ask people to share their positive or negative experiences of submission with each other. How does understanding these experiences inform your understanding of Ephesians 5.21? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, I'll add a little bit here. Um, because I think it's, it's critical, right? We live in a world where everything is not perfect. It's a broken, fallen world. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who claim that they're Christians, but they don't go to church or things like that, right? But why? Uh, because they had a bad experience at a church once? I get it. I do. Um, I think probably everybody has had a bad experience at church at one time or another. But do we throw out Jesus because one of his representatives is wrong, right? Um, Did the first century Christians, they weren't really even called that yet, but did the first church in Jerusalem Did they say, nope, we can't trust you because Judas, right? Judas was, yeah, yeah, he betrayed you and, you know, he didn't buy it. And if one of the 12 didn't buy it, why should we buy it, right? It's still the truth, even if somebody is wrong out there claiming, right, progressive Christianity and the prosperity gospel and all of this stuff. That, that stuff is not on Jesus. That stuff is not in the Bible. They claim it is. They proof text verses to prove their points, but they're not reading the entire story of the Bible. They can't because their theology won't stand up to it. So please, again, don't throw the body of Christ away because you got a hangnail. 
okay? We'll clip that hangnail, we'll get, we'll get it taken care of, um, we'll heal from it, uh, but we don't throw away the whole body because of a hangnail. Uh, number two, who do you, who today do you submit to in the normal events of your life? Bosses, teachers, parents, colleagues, friends, spouse. Um, what does healthy submission look like in each of these relationships? Pray for the grace in these relationships. Consider, maybe that is a good idea to, um, obviously it's a good idea, but uh, maybe it's a, uh, a good idea to list who you submit to and then determine should you be, right? Because if you're submitting to, oh, let's say the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or politics in general or social media or Facebook or Twitter or pro-life or pro-choice or, you know, what are you submitting to and what does it really mean, okay? Um, I got myself caught up into this a few times and and maybe I'll do a podcast here down the road about what what our rights really are what does God say our rights are not not the Bill of Rights not the Constitution not uh, you know the Declaration of Independence not those documents uh, those are what our leaders determined were good for us and and I know that there were very deep Christian values involved in creating those documents, um, but they've been corrupted. Uh, they're not the same as they were. And if we look at what God promised us in the Bible, what God said our lives would look like, uh, and we hold it up against documents like those, um, were we really promised the right to bear arms? Were we really promised freedom of speech? Um, were we really promised freedom of religion? Because not very many people in the history of Christianity uh, experience the freedom of religion that we do. Um, many, many people throughout the history of the Christian faith uh, were murdered for that faith, uh, as if it were nothing, as if they were nothing. So keep that in mind, um, and maybe we'll talk about it down the road further. Um, you know, what, what are our rights in God's uh, view? Um, but definitely look at those relationships. Look at who you are submitted to, um, whose you are, as, as the title of this podcast uh, asks, um, and determine should you be, right? Some things I'll stand behind and they're, they're hills I will die on, like pro-life. I will die on that hill. Um, but the Republican Party, nope, they're not for me. Um, the Democratic Party, nope, they're even less for me. They're not for, I'm not sure who they're for. Um, it doesn't seem to be America though, but I don't want to get into a, po a political conversation. All I know is either you serve the people who put you there or you don't. And I don't see a lot of politicians serving the people who put them there. Um, on either side of the aisle. Number three, consider a character flaw you would like to have transformed in your life. What spiritual discipline might help you cooperate with God in his transforming work? Willingly practice this discipline for a stipulated period of time. Submit your progress to a trusted friend. What is this like for you? 
Um, three weeks, right? Uh, Habits of Highly Effective People, I think it is, uh, talks about it takes three weeks to make a habit. Um, but you have to do it consistently and you have to want to do it consistently uh, for it to stick. Um, so do that. Uh, we all have character flaws. I'm not going to go into all of mine by now. If you've listened, what is this, 34 podcasts now? Um, if you've listened to them, you know what my flaws are. If you know me, you know what my flaws are. If you know me and still love me and know what my flaws are, then you belong in my life. And if you know me and you know my flaws and you don't care to help me correct them and uh, and they drive you away from me, then that's okay too. You're not meant to be there. And I'm okay with that. Um, I do want to be a better person. Uh, I do try to be a better person uh, than I was yesterday even. Um, But I'm not always going to be successful. So bear with me as I grow uh, and I'll be with you. Some other resources on submission I talked about. um, Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Community and Submission by Jan Johnson. Whisper, as I mentioned, by Mark Batterson. Uh, This book that I do these spiritual disciplines uh, through, uh, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, Practices That Transform Us by Adele Albert Calhoun. Uh, I mentioned Kevin Cruz's article, Servant Leadership, Definition, Examples, and Characteristics from LeadX.com. Uh, and John MacArthur's book, Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ. Uh, I do use a lot of resources to, to do these podcasts, so feel free. Uh, they'll be in the show notes as well so that you can look them up for yourself uh, and challenge my research. If you think I got something wrong, come tell me, please. I am not above correction. Uh, I am far from perfect. Uh, I will be praying for you every day. I love you guys. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me. I hope that the words that the Holy Spirit puts in me to give to you uh, are helpful in some way in your life. And uh, until next time, rise up.